If you brought your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 5. We're going to wrap up our time together. I normally would be bringing in a message that would be just kind of a wrap-up type message, but I just couldn't resist walking through James 5 with you this morning. But I do want to thank you, Deb and I, want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the wonderful graciousness that you've bestowed upon us and given us the opportunity to come these 16 months or so to serve you as transitional pastor. And it has been a joy. Uh, someone asked me, uh, a friend of mine called me this week, said, my goodness gracious, now what are you going to do? I said, I'm off to the next one here pretty soon. But, uh, you know, I've enjoyed my time. They said, well, did you, did you feel like you accomplished anything? I said, well, I think I did. There's still people there. There's still folks coming, and uh, they've called a new pastor. I hope they're going to have some more people for him, but uh, I feel like we've accomplished a lot. I was thinking through this morning early on the way over, and we have accomplished a great deal. We have uh, raised the bar in some areas, and we've enhanced the things that you were doing quite well and continue to do those, and uh, we think we've had a great, great time, and that's what the transitional pastor does, is help you transition so that you'll be ready to receive the next senior pastor. As I said early on, that I bring a short-run mission until a greater vision comes, and that greater vision will arrive here next Sunday, Lord willing, and he will bring that vision, what God has put on his heart. I'll share some more about that inside the message. But I do want to go ahead and make the announcement because some of you have asked and I want to just kind of go ahead and let you know I do have another place to serve. I'd been uh, talking over the last few weeks with a couple of churches here in, in Georgia and uh, one in Alabama. And so uh, we chose that the Lord fit to, uh, to put us at a church back in Alabama. It's called Cropwell Baptist Church in Pell City. It sits about a mile off Lake Logan Martin. It comes with a jet ski and ski boats and uh, a house on the river. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't come with any of that. But Cropwell Baptist Church runs about 450 in worship. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful fellowship. And uh, they've asked to me to come and be the transitional pastor there. They voted a couple of weeks ago to do a transition. And uh, do pray. They have some real issues that we are, they've already made me aware of. And they are open and honest about the issues that they have. There is some division inside that fellowship that we're asking God to use during this transition to bring unity to this faith family. And so do pray for the Cropwell Baptist Church as I begin next Sunday in Cropwell Baptist Church in Pell City, begin to persecute those dear brothers and sisters over there. No, hope to encourage those dear friends over there at Cropwell Church. Uh, continue to pray for our ministry in Honduras. We have a lot of things going on down there with the Honduras Baptist Convention uh, committed to helping them plant churches. And we're already in that process and have several church plants already up and running. And one of our church plants that we helped plant a, a couple of years ago in a community out of San Pedro Sula called Rio de Campo, uh, the church is Iglesia Mount Zion. Mount Zion Church has already planted their first church in another community just down the road for them that is now already reaching about 60 members and they have no real estate no building nothing to meet in they're meeting under a tree next to one of the members house and so that's where they're actually doing church there at uh, it's called Jukatuma 
Baptist Church. And so y'all be praying as we uh, began to launch. And our team in July is going to spend a great deal of time doing evangelism and outreach in that community as well as we have other teams that are going to St. Nicholas to finish up that project and other churches over in Tagus. We are expanding in some other areas around the country, not just San Pedro Sula. So do pray praying for that in our corporate ministry as well and all the other things that are going on with us. Uh, somebody, I forgot who it was this morning, said, I thought you were going to retire. I, 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 it's not in the Bible. So I don't see it, so I don't think I will. I probably will slow down some. Uh, but I, I, in fact, the matter is I'm going to slow down a lot this week because tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. I check into St. Vincent's Hospital to have my knees scoped. So uh, I'll be slowing down. Do pray for Deb this coming week because she'll be my nurse. She loves waiting on me hand and foot, uh, you know. And so, no, do pray that this, this one he did say is not as bad as the one I tore last year. Uh, the meniscus tear is not as bad. And so he said, I think you'll be up and running in a couple of weeks, full steam ahead. So do be praying for that. James chapter five, and we're gonna look at uh, several verses in James five, beginning with the seventh verse. And I, as I began to think wrapping up our time together today, I started thinking about this title. How do we live until Jesus returns. There are a plethora of books. You could go to any bookstore around the country, around the great Atlanta area, and you can find thousands of volumes of books on end times. There's a lot of people that like to talk about that and they like to write about that and they sell books about that. There's a lot of people that talk about the second coming or the end times and, and all of those things. But I think we should dwell on how do we live until Jesus comes. Because none of them, none of them are accurate in their prediction of when Jesus will return. Because he's not told any of us. He did say he will return for the bride, his church. He will return. But he didn't give us the specific date time, month of the year that he will return, but we see a lot of signs from scripture that it might be sooner than later. And to be honest with you, that sooner could be another hundred years, could be another thousand years for all that matter. It's God's time frame when he does, but how do we live until Jesus comes? And so I want to challenge us to, to kind of subtitle that. How do we live when this new pastor comes as well? So I'm going to kind of tie some thoughts together today, and I'm going to hope to encourage us to be looking about internally, how do we live until Jesus comes? James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. Be patient, the Bible says. Therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. Be patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. My goodness, we've gotten some early rains today, amen? Early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Verse 10, as an example, brethren, of suffering of patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and has seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that, that, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But, verse 12, but above all, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or 
earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight today, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're about to do in our midst today. We thank you for the opportunity to unpack your scripture today and look at a few verses today and, and, and cross-reference some to help us understand these even more. And Father, I thank you for this great church called Fairburn First Baptist. I thank you for the privilege of having been able to serve them now during this transitional period. Thank you for this wonderful staff and these wonderful leaders and deacons and leadership. God, thank you that they've made my time so much easier because they're so ready to do what you would have them do, be the church you would have them be until you return. God, I pray your richest blessings, and I do believe, Lord, that the best days are ahead in the life of this congregation should we keep our eyes fixed upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we thank you so much that we have your word to guide us each and every day. We thank you so much that we can have fellowship with other believers in this room and in this community each and every day to help us stay on track. But Father, we thank you that we can keep our eyes agazed upon you knowing that one day, one day, you will come home for us all. And Lord, we, we rejoice in that. And, but Lord, we have business to tend to here on this side of glory. We have business to tend to because the calling on each and every one of our lives we have ministry that we must do, lives in the balance, Lord. And I pray that we will be more excited and more open to sharing the gospel more now than ever before. And that we will be the church, regardless of what it looks like, we'll be the church that you've raised up to reach this community. Lord, let us mirror, let us mirror what Fairburn looks like. Let us mirror what South Fulton County looks like. Let us be the church that, that receives all people of all ethnicities and all races and all colors. Father, we thank you that they already are that congregation. But Lord, let us be that even more, even more until you return. And Father, let us be found faithful, sharing your glorious message of hope to a lost and dying world. Now, Lord, remove any obstacles standing in the way from us hearing from you today. Do your work in this place we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. In the first six verses of chapter five, James strongly, sharply, he rebukes the wicked rich people who abuse their righteous poor people. In verses 7 through 11, he shifts the focus from the rebuke to, from the persecutors to the persecuted, moving from condemning to the faithless to abusive rich to confronting the faithful people, abused poor, those folks that were faithful in their midst. Trouble is inevitable a part of life to each and every one of us. We will all face trouble in life. We will all go through that. 
It's a universal experience across denominational lines, across ethnicities, across people. We will go through trouble in life. Job chapter 5, verse 7, man is born for trouble as a sparks flies upward. Jesus said it best in James, uh, John 16, verse 33, in the world you have tribulation. And Paul goes on to warn the Christians at Galatia. He says this, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, to the church at Rome that goes on to say, and Timothy goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he says, join me in suffering for the gospel. And Peter gives us counsel in his epistle, beloved, he says in verse chapter 4, verse 1, uh, verse 12 and 13, he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fury ordeal among you, which comes to upon you for your testing as though some strange thing happened to you. But to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Let me give you fair warning here today. Just because Dr. Evan Hill is coming to be your pastor next Sunday, you're still going to go through trials and tribulations. You're going to have trouble in life. It is going to help you that you have a permanent pastor here and guide you with a greater vision for this congregation. But dear brothers and sisters, we will not be a void of trial and tribulation. But we should do it, take it, receive it as part of the calling on our lives and rejoice in that. In addition to more trials in life, believers face all type of trouble, not just experiencing to non-believers. I have a dear friend in Houston, Texas today. He's from Birmingham area. He's a very, very, very wealthy man from the world's standpoint, a godly man, loves God with all his heart, helped plant a church, a, a, an amazing man, a giver of the gospel away and a man who gives to missions and ministry around the world. He is struggling today physically because cancer is eating his body away. And I do pray that you pray for my dear friend, David. He is struggling. In fact, the matter, I got a text before I came up that it is really, really bad. He is facing some difficult days. All the wealth that he might have had, all that stuff that he's acquired will not go away. It was still there. It will be there when he's dead and gone. And folks, let me tell you something. We still face troubles and, and trials and tribulations. John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus says, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and verse chapter 11, describing the devastation, persecution of Jerusalem, the church then led by Saul of Tarsus, and then he runs across and has a radical transformation. In Acts chapter 9, on the Damascus road, came the a persecutor to one who has even persecuted himself. And folks, let me tell you something, we will go through it. So how do we live until Jesus comes? You see, I believe it tells us in verse 7, right out of the gate, be patient. Be patient. The word patient is an interesting word. It's a compound form word, meaning long-tempered 
We must be patient. Be patient with difficult circumstances. Be patient with other brothers and sisters. Be patient for the new pastor when he comes on board as he unfolds what God is leading him to lead this congregation to do. Folks, let me tell you something. We must be patient. You see, I believe before we get into the meat of this message today, I think we all can come to the understanding there are about seven or eight undeniable basic tenets of the Christian faith. First of all, God created the heavens and the earth. I believe everybody in this room will aspire to that and believe that God indeed created the heavens and the earth. Second of all, the vicarious birth of Jesus Christ was real. He was born of the Virgin Mary. Mary being a virgin birthed this man named Jesus Christ. We all aspire to that, don't we? God created the heavens and the earth, the vicarious birth of Jesus. Mary was the virgin mother of the Lord. At about age 30, for about three years or so, Jesus had an earthly ministry here on planet earth healing the sick raising the dead doing all forms turning water into wine folks let me tell you something he had an amazing ministry and taught unbelievable sermons that we uh, just feast upon out of the word of God today so Jesus had a public ministry for about three years here and Jesus Christ was crucified for the sins not just for me not just for a few but for the entire world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He died for the sins of the world. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And the Bible tells us he stayed around about 40 days and he spoke to hundreds of people, over 500 at one time. He spoke to many on earth after he rose from the dead. And then he ascended back to heaven to take his rightful place in heaven uh, right now on the throne and we also believe that at some point in time as I said earlier at some point in time Jesus will return for his bride the church and take us home and the dead in Christ will rise and meet us in the air amen so those eight things we can lock into believing beyond a shadow of doubt that God absolutely made those things happen but what are the four things that we want to talk about this morning? I think there are four things that we should do, that we should aspire to, that we should lock into, that we should commit to. Four things that we must do until Jesus returns. And I said it a moment ago, number one, we must be patient. I'll be honest with you, that is something that God works on me about every other minute. Not every other day, not every other week, not every other year, not every other church that I serve, but every other minute, God is reminding me to slow down and be patient. I want it yesterday. You can ask the staff, and they're all saying hallelujah in their heart. They might not be saying it out loud, but they know that I am, I am, 100, I am running at 100 miles an hour. I want it done, and I want it done yesterday. But we must be patient. Look what it says in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of soil. Be patient about it until it gets the early and the late rain. My wife is from Decatur, Alabama. 
You may not know where that is. It sits between the quad cities of Florence in northwest Alabama, the Shoals area, and the great Huntsville, Alabama, which is now the second largest city in the state. They just came out with a new census that Huntsville is now the second largest city in the state of Alabama. And so, I mean, and it's, it's exploding because NASA's there and all the subsidiaries are there. But Decatur sits right there in central, north central Alabama and sits right there on the Tennessee River. And, and by and large, around Decatur, Morgan County, and the, the county just north of it is Limestone County. There is a lot of farming that goes on there, a lot of cotton farming. Now, I've never farmed a day in my life. I'm just not. I feel like that uh, we've got people that are gifted in that area and we should let them do it. Amen. And I thank God for them. I thank God for the farmers who grow produce that we can eat and those kinds of things. But every farmer that I have been around, cotton farmers or peanut farmers or, or, uh, or tomato farmers, whatever they might be, you see those guys are extremely patient. Have you ever noticed they just don't get in a hurry, do they? They just don't get in a hurry. When in, out in Decatur, in Morgan County, in Limestone County, you can drive up through there and see these massive, huge, thousand-acre plots of ground where they're in there. They're not on just an old tractor. They're not behind a red mule plowing it. They're in a luxury John Deere uh, uh, picker. And then these things are riding along, got air conditioning, they got sound systems in it, they got TVs, they got GPS. They can run those things just about by themselves. But every one of those farmers, Mr. Peoples is one of them, I know him firstly. He says, Dan, you got to be patient when we get the ground ready to go. We put the seed. It takes a while for the seed to germinate. We need the early and the late rains. Now, you say, Dan, why are you telling us this little story? Because all of you folks are going to be just like me. When Evan comes here next week, you're going to know what's his plan. Folks, let him unpack his boxes. Let him get on board. Let him get to know some of you and, and, and love you like I love you. Let him get to understand the, the ministry makeup and the opportunity that awaits him here. So you be patient with him. Now, a few months from now, if he doesn't have anything, you scuff him up. Good. No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. But be patient with him. Love him and pray for him and undergird him. So be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Secondly, we must be prepared we all must be prepared. Look what it says in verse 8. You too be patient. Strengthen your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. If you brought your Bibles, and I hope you do, you have them with you, opened up already. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 19. I want you to notice something, what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. How do we prepare ourselves? He gives us a diagram right here in front of us today. I want you to notice what he says as we are preparing our hearts for the next generation of church life, the next leader in this church. Look what it says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, in strength and his might, put on the full armor. It doesn't say pieces of the armor. It says every piece portion of the armor put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil 
For the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers and against world forces and this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor that you may be able to resist the the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, verse, verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all flaming missiles of evil of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God with all prayer and petition pray at all time in the spirit and with this in view be on alert be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf and utterance he goes on to encourage them Folks, it says, put on the whole armor of God. When I've looked at that passage time and time again, I noticed something it says. It says, put on the whole armor of God. Guess what it doesn't say? It doesn't say take it off. Oftentimes, what we want to do is take off the armor and sit back and relax for a bit. We want to lay the armor aside. It says, put on the whole armor. It never says, take it off. Be ready when it's called upon. So we need to be prepared to follow what God has in store for Dr. Evan Hill. Be prepared. So that means shod your feet with the gospel. Hold that sword, that, that shield for those fiery darts. Put on, hold the, the word of God in your hand and your heart. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, be prepared for the battle. You say, wait a minute, he's coming next week. Well, you got six days. So let's shore shore up, amen? Let's get ready for the coming of the Lord and let's get ready for Lord's man he sends to lead you in the next generation of church life. Not only do we need to be patient with one another and patient with the new pastor, be prepared, but we also must be persistent. Be persistent. Pick it up in verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering, of patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. It goes on to say, verse 11, Behold, we count those blessed who endured. We, you have heard the endurance of Job. Folks, let me tell you something. Nobody, nobody, maybe obviously Christ did, But Job, the Old Testament prophet, he endured. The Bible says in verse 23, chapter 23, verse 10, for when I'm tried, Job says, and purified, I shall turn forth as gold. What is an example of being persistent? We must be persistent. The epistle of James is driving home the point that we must be patient We must be prepared. We must be persistent. You know, uh, there's another portion of scripture that tells us about being persistent. 
And that would be over in Luke gospel chapter 15. You know the story of the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost, the lost coin, lost sheep, and the wayward son. I think it's a beautiful story, but I think it ought to be renamed when we all stand up to preach it called the story of the loving, persistent father. Because that father stood there patiently waiting on his son who took his portion of the inheritance and wasted it away. And I picture in my mind's eye with his foot up on one rail of that fence just waiting for his son to come home. We must be patient. We must be prepared. We must be persistent. And fourth and finally, not only that, but we must be precise. This world needs the church to be completely precise. Look what it says in verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or earth or with any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Yes, meaning yes. No, meaning no. Look with me real quickly to John chapter 14. Look with me, John chapter 14, verse 16. I want you to notice something here. Beautiful passage. John 14, verse 16. Notice what it says. And I will ask the Father, and he will guide you, oh, give you, excuse me, another helper that you may be with, that may be with you forever. How precise is that? If you're saved by his glorious grace today, you have another helper helping you to be precise. You know what I found today? That a lot of our teenagers and a lot of our children are not being guided by people who know yes and no. We, we, sometimes we don't, we, we, we mix signals for them. Sometimes we say no, and they're a little persistent, and they're a little more persistent, and they're a little more persistent, and then we give in and say yes. We, 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 we saw this firsthand. Deb and I went to Lifeway stores yesterday, and, and so we had to pick up some books, and they closed the one near us, so we had to drive over to the Galleria to theirs, and we was there, and we were walking in there, and so I, Deb was, Deb was, I was already out in the car and, and waiting on Deb, as I normally do when she's shopping. And so I went back in to see what in the world was taking so long. And there was a parent there whose child had missed their nap or something or just didn't understand no. And this mom was letting this child scream and hit her in Lifeway. I mean, you would think that would happen at Walmart, but not Lifeway Christian bookstores. I mean, let's put on our good front and be Baptist or something, you know, when we're in that Christian bookstore, right? I mean, this kid went off on the parent and the parent let them. And I'm sitting there thinking somewhere along the way, she may not have heard that verse. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Brothers and sisters, this community needs First Baptist Church to stand up and continue to say, yes means yes, and no means no. So we must be precise. We're, we're gonna be, you're gonna be asked more than most churches I've ever been around to do some things that you've never done before, to reach people that you've never reached before. So we must be precise with our words. Let our yes mean yes and our no 
mean no. Any trial, any suffering and persecution that Christians might be facing in the coming days and months, we can patiently endure anticipating that the Lord is going to return one day. Lord's judgment will happen and we will be caught up in the air and Lord's faithful servants understanding the Lord's blessing of salvation in our lives, realizing the Lord's purpose in our lives, considering the Lord will compassionately reach down and give us that glorious day, that glorious ride home at some point in time. But until he calls us home, let's let our yes mean yes and our no mean no. Yesterday afternoon, I wrote down a few things extra for the sermon today. I'm not going to preach two sermons. Aren't you glad? But I've got a few things I want you to jot down. And I want you to put these down as a remind yourself as we transition to the next leadership. Please receive him and his sweet family with the same love and graciousness that you receive, Debbie and I. I'm challenging you. Receive this dear brother. Love him unconditionally. He's going to need that because obviously he's coming home to the state of Georgia. He's been, on, he's been on the mission field up in South Carolina and he's coming home. And so he's excited about that. He's excited about coming to serve you. But folks, let me tell you something. He doesn't know you just like I didn't know you. But I, y'all received me into your families. You made me part, and Debbie and I, a part. You let us walk through the marrying of our son and expanding our family through that. You loved us through all of those stories and yarns and things, and you loved us. So I'm challenging you, please receive this dear young brother like you have us. Secondly, rally around that vision that he has. When he starts unpacking where he feels like the church needs to go over the next few months and years to come until the next generation of church life continues to unfold, rally around the vision. I was thinking back some of the harebrained things that I laid on y'all. And y'all went, okay, let's do it. I was like, goodness gracious. He's going to be here permanently, so let's rally around that vision and undergird him in prayer. So receive him, rally around him. Rejoice in what God has done in the past for this great fellowship. Let's rejoice in that, but let's don't waller in the past. Let's move forward into the next century let's think forward constantly we can't do anything about what's happened but change if it wasn't good amen and if it was good then let's bounce off of it let's launch from that so let's receive him let's rally around the vision let's rejoice in what God has done and let's rejoice in what God is about to do Rejoice in about what God's about to do in this place. And finally, respond to his leadership when he asks you to serve. Don't say, well, you know, I, I used to sit back. I used to work in the nursery. I, I used to work with teenagers, but I've done my time. Please don't let me hear you said that. 
because I do know my way back to Fairburn. And I don't want to come back over here and scuff you up, you know? Respond to his leadership. You say, well, pastor, I would do it, but I'm really not, my strength is not in that area, but let me help you pray with you to find somebody who is and find the right person in that area. But respond positively to his leadership. You know, when I came here, I told you I was going to do three things. And I evaluated this week, personally evaluated our tenure here. And I said when I came here, I was going to love you unconditionally. And I can say without a shadow of doubt, I've loved each and every one of you unconditionally. I don't know if you've loved me. That's on you. But I have loved you unconditionally. There's some of you I don't like as much as others, but no, I'm just kidding. I love each and every one of you. I love everything about you. I loved you. Didn't care about your warts. Didn't care about your past. Didn't even really want to know about your past. If you told me, I just rejoiced that God spared you from the past and moved you into the future. Amen? So I loved you unconditionally. The second thing is I told you, and I think that I have, that I was going to lead. Because you can't take a leader and not let him lead. I told you I was going to love you, and I was going to lead us through this transition period. Amen? And I told you at an appropriate time when God's timing was right and when God's had his man to take this pulpit, I will leave you. And that time is now. John Wesley would always sign his letters by this one phrase you know John Wesley the founder of the Methodist Church what a great 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 man of God Wesley always signed it this way until the coming of the Lord folks let me tell you something I'm going to love you I'm not going to lead you anymore I'm going to leave you in great hands a man of God with a great bunch of men that are going to serve alongside him, a wonderful group of deacons that are servant leaders, and we are going to hear great and mighty things. But it's my time for Deb and I to leave you. And I do believe, I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that we're leaving you in good hands, beyond a shadow of doubt, until the Lord's coming.